Good evening, primetime partiers. It's primetime party time. Welcome back once again to our hour of all things media and entertainment live on the air at 9 p.m. at ptptshow.com and on your time wherever you stream podcasts. Tonight, we are going to go into a character arc, something a little different from other episodes you might have listened to, and go into a journey that was unforeseen, often on screen from a show whose beeps, beam, beam, and one hour real time structure set itself apart. That's right, we are talking about 24, and specifically George Mason's character from seasons one and two on the iconic Fox drama that set the stage for political conspiracy dramas and anti-hero redemption plots on prime time. Danny, how you doing? Ooh, I'm doing well. Uh, it's episode 24 here on Primetime Party Time. Uh, it seems like we would be remiss not to do it on 24. It was inevitable if we were going to talk about TV uh, that we were going to talk about 24 at some point. Um, Tracy, before we do that, yeah. you host, are you uh, toasting to anything? You roasting to anything this week? Yes. My toast is sometimes I like to be really on theme like we are in our episodes and a thing I like to do because my dog like all similar to the three-headed dog in uh, Harry Potter that has to be soothed by music specifically usually a classical music my dog if she wakes up in the middle of the night or anything she usually gets a little bit of a soundtrack played softly to help her go back to sleep usually it's like Ghibli soundtrack or I play the Vince Guaraldi trio which is best known for all of the Charlie Brown music which is why I do it for my beagle of course because, you know she is a Snoopy so that is my toast my toast is like I kind of no, don't usually listen to instrumental music that much because I love lyrics but it's been very nice and kind of meditative so that's my toast and then my roast is honestly not that bad for me but it is for others is that on my work computer one day uh, my camera just like burned out what and it just is not working and i took it to the genius bar and they're like yeah you'll have to replace the whole screen you should definitely quote it with your work because your computer's old so you might just need like a new laptop and i was like yeah, that's a good call, bro. He's like, or a clip-on webcam is like 20 bucks. I'm like, you know what? We're going to give them both options. So that happened. I mean, for me, I'm kind of like, oh, I don't have to have my camera on because it's a non-option. Yeah, that's a, that's a plus. That's a pro. It's not the worst, but there's definitely like a time limit for how long people think that's like a real thing, even though I tell people like, no, it really broke. Like, I have to go. I had to go get it fixed at the Genius Bar. This isn't a this isn't a fake excuse. But I also laugh because I had like a larger meeting where it would have been probably, you know, it was kind of like not social etiquette to not have my camera on. And somebody was like, "The Genius Bar sounds like you need to go to another bar." Nice. But honestly, I was kind of like. Usually one who is at the Genius Bar should have a coordinated other bar. It's just like right in there. So that's like a pitch for Apple. Oh, like maybe you just have like Apple cocktails. It would actually be hilarious too if they were only Apple flavored as well. 
and they just were like alongside or if they were all like puns on like hardware fails or you know like the amount of money you'll have to spend on repairs and you just at least you just laugh a little bit it's like the cracked your phone mule (laughs) (laughs) just something so that's that's my pitch to help clear people's woes but for me it's a it's a we'll see how it how it turns out for me (laughs) for now no camera unless i take a call on my personal computer which i try not to but there was a couple where i was like all right someone needs to see my face for this presentation so i'll do it but it's like not for others so Mm -hmm. that's that's my toast and roast daniel what is your toast and roast for this week you know what situation I kind of revel in that I noticed? Mm. Uh, you ever go to a restaurant and you're sitting there and your first like couple interactions with your waiter or waitress are just like anywhere from slightly off to just full on disaster. And by like number oh, two, man. you just kind of know that the whole dinner's kind of shot, that this is just not a good experience on their end, not really on your end. Uh it's just like there's this moment where it's like nothing awful's happened quite yet, but you know the vibes are just not oh, there. Yeah. I love that. I think that that is a glorious hell. I, I just it is it a is. fantastic place to be in, and it, it's there's there's just a lot of tension on what's going to happen next. Now, with that said, if that if that's my toast, then the roast is that there's there's a very thin line there, and and crossing that is is a bad experience at a restaurant. Uh. Yeah, uh, th- it's just like it, it's just one of those sort of situations sitting there. And I was just like, "Wow, I am enjoying the the fact that this is going horribly a, a little too much." Uh, no, it it does happen once. Uh, there's a a fish restaurant in my hometown mm. in the restaurant row, mm. and I recall that uh, I went there for one of my brother's birthdays, like a few years past and for whatever reason we had these like photo props and fake mustaches and we thought it would be hilarious as a family to all put fake mustaches on in between being seated and the waiter comes what and uh we did that they hated us they hated it (laughs) like (laughs) we thought it was gonna go over great like oh we're gonna make this person laugh they're gonna have a great day yeah all of our food came out cold Oh my god. Wow. <laughs> they were not into it. It was apparently that thin line was like, I am not into shenanigans today. Cause I definitely know a lot of waiters that would be like, oh, you guys, and would be like, I'm into this. This woman was like, oh, I cannot, I cannot with these people. Which is kind of fair enough. You know, if you're having a bad day, seeing a bunch of mustaches, you're like, these people. These people are going to be a lot. That's the gamble. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. It was a choice. And then afterwards we were like, bad call, guys. That's amazing. I, th- th- this is, what, a, what a delightful, unfortunate story. I, I definitely feel like this was one of those moves where it was like my dad's call. Like everyone put on the mustache. <laughs> this is going to be great. I was a waiter for years. I would have loved this. And it was like the... Not everyone is you. Oh my situation. God. Wow. So, uh, yeah, I can attest the thin line. It's a very thin line, yeah. but it is hilarious. Like we didn't even really care that our food was cold. We were kind of like, I mean, we took the risk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> wild. Uh, so wild. You know, Almost I, I, as wild as 24. <laughs> yeah, I, I want to find some way to spin this. This, 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 this might be the best we get. Uh, when That's we come a sharp back, pivot. Yeah, <laughs> pivot to 24. <laughs> All right, Tracy, give us all the info there is to know tonight on the series 24. 24 for episode 24, because we like numbers just like this show. Um, 24 is a serialized drama. The series creators are Joel Cerno and Robert Cochran. The day one description, kind of the pitch for the show, is the first season of 24 begins at midnight on the day of the California presidential primary. Special Agent Jack Bauer soon learns that an assassination attempt will be made the day on presidential candidate David Palmer. While Jack chases those responsible for the plot, his daughter's, his daughter Kim's night on the town, which definitely kind of reminded me of the movie 13 in a bad way, <laughs> takes an unexpected turn. His wife, Terry, runs into more danger than she ever imagined possible, and a long-ago buried scandal might surface just in time to derail Palmer's career. That was mostly from the official Fox website, except for my little interjection in there. And there the cast is the main person that we will be talking about is both Kiefer Sutherland as Jack Bauer, as well as Xander Berkeley as George Mason. Um, season and episode run. Original is eight seasons, 192 episodes, one TV movie, and a 12-episode revival series. This was on Fox in kind of the heyday of Fox, because I do remember it being like 24 and Prison Break were like this chunk of time when I, people were watching. When I remember the popularity of 24, I remember that they would give premiere weeks, like the, the when, when the yeah. season would start in January. They would give two hours of Sunday and two hours of the Monday after to the show to start off the season. Like, you got to be confident in your show to give it four hours a week. Oh, yeah. And it's also kind of like, it's, this show is very unique in that a lot of shows you don't really know the concept of time and it doesn't really matter. And in this one, you're almost overly aware <laughs> of the concept of time, but it does matter. So that's also, you know, it plays into itself. And it aired from 2001 until 2010. So 24, you are a pretty big 24 buff. Yeah, what so did you say? Twenty four is my like gateway show. Uh, it it was kind of the show that showed me like what television could be. Yeah. Uh, and, and so I've spent a lot of time watching it, rewatching it, thinking about it. Uh, I, I like to say that it's at its best. Twenty four is a groundbreaking show, and at its worst, it, it's irresponsible. It's unmistakably of a different time. Uh, but. When, when you kind of study what it is and what, what it does, I think it's an absolute achievement to be able to like put yeah. these kind of restrictions on storytelling and create something that can really only effectively exist in the medium of television. Yeah. With that said, 
did you watch it while it was on air? Like, do you have any history with this show? Oh, definitely. Even though I really had to jog my memory for this episode and rewatch a few episodes of 24, I do recall watching it when it first came out. Like, I remembered the pilot, and when I watched it again, I was like, yep. Though it, it, it definitely hit differently. I was watching, how, like, how they shot the pilot and realizing a lot of the more stylistic takes that they did that weren't as apparent. And they're probably, like, extra, you know, popping out to me now because televisions have gotten so much more high def uh-huh. that this, like... You know, this their kind of dark lighting and extra film grain is probably even more so because it's a show from the early 2000s. But you could tell they kind of wanted that like interrogation room lighting <laughs> for a lot right. of the episodes and just kind of the audio in general. Like I do. It's funny getting back into the like Jack Bauer whisper, the really intense talking. And oh. I feel like. Between that and like the Batman voice, those were definitely things that like were, were done around my household. I love but. that there was always sort of that joke when 24 was on where it was the night hours are all whispering and the day hours are all yelling exclusively yes. and there was never any middle ground. No, it's like Silver Linings playbook where like they're either screaming or it's like really soft and romantic. It was it's a very like hard shift in the day and night episodes. And, like, you also kind of watch it going, like, really? You don't really think he's, like, a government agent right off the bat based on all the things? Like, what does your husband do? It's like, well, he has some resources the police don't. I'm like, come on. Like, come on. But, like, at the same time, like, I think it's, like, that thing of, like, the pilot. People know things more so than they're showing the audience type Mm -hmm. thing. And I might just be, like, looking at it surface level and going, like... Do you not know everything that's happening? And it's but kind of like, well, they actually can't too because he's on a certain kind of clearance level. But I do think it's interesting also looking at this like time period of when it came out and then how the show progressed because it's like it starts in 2000 and you got to know that like that was like a time period too of like political kind of and kind of where the American identity was was in great flux with different you know events going on through that time period so you can tell that the writing and everything that's going on is definitely influenced by what's going on in the outside real world at the same time in this fictional space that is you know not supposed to be too different (laughs) than what's going on in real time I think the main show that I find similarities with, although could not be shot, filmed, and written differently, is Scandal. Scandal is similar, even though it's a lot more about, like, political public relations. On the same time, there's a lot of, like, conspiracies and corruption happening as well, and it gets quite dark. It starts off a bit more lighter and gets like just proceedingly extremely extremely dark and i'd say like 24 like first episode you're like heavy content is hitting you (laughs) like each scenario you're like she should not get in a van with those guys that look like they're real strung out that's (laughs) not gonna end well then it's like the parents looking after the kids trying to track them down that's not gonna end well the pickle jack is in 
that's not going to end well. The president's pickle, that's not going to work. I guess at the time, senator's pickle, that's not going to end well. It's You do see all of these going like, much conflict, all of the directions, which is why you watch 24. I will say, um, my favorite characters that were not present in this arc, and so that's all probably also why my memory of this is less because you do kind of stick with like your favorites right is um i did like uh aaron pierce aaron pierce glenn morshower's character like he was one of my favorites as well as chloe o'brien because i also really like that actress as well um that was played by mary lean rashkub i might have pronounced that wrong yeah, they were my favorites, but I want to say they didn't show up till season three or four. But getting on to today's theme of George Mason, I was really pleasantly surprised to see how this character evolved throughout because it's not a character that I think I really clung on to when I watched it originally. And looking at it through a new lens was like he does start off as the boss that everyone is meant to hate that you know you're definitely thrown as the audience to be like Jack Bauer is the hero even though when I watch it now and probably it's from watching all of it I'm like I have to say in controversial opinion I kind of sided with the George Mason character sometimes which is weird like not in the pilot so much because he's kind of getting in trouble for doing some some not great stuff But I think like later on where it's like, I mean, I know you're like saving your daughter, but you are like definitely breaking the rules, like negotiating with like murderers and like stealing cop cars and stuff. Like, I know you're kind of the like, the rules are different for me and like, don't trust anyone. But I'm like, I mean, I can see why your boss has like a tough time. (laughs) Yeah. You were like a loose cannon. Jack's (laughs) not really well liked in the 24 universe. No. Yeah, I was and I was more realizing it there where I'm like, I mean, you're supposed to be the one that we're siding with, but I watched it again. I was like, I don't know. You seem like you would just be so difficult to manage. <laughs> and yeah, that's that's probably how George thinks. I mean, that's definitely how George yeah. thinks of him. Uh though luckily, you know, for better or for worse, we, we see the series through Jack's perspective. So yes. we as, as much as we do want to side with, you know, any of the characters who are disgruntled with Jack, George, uh, Tony Almeida, um pretty much all of them. Pretty much the yeah, uh, <laughs> the uh the instigators of the day's threats, the Drazens yeah. and Hyra Gaines, like they're all, you know, not not really for Jack. Uh in fact, the no. first season is a revenge plot against Jack Bauer and Senator Palmer. Exactly. Uh we don't know that in the pilot yet. There's there's no. this kind of amazing mystery that unfolds over the first 13 hours to figure that out. Uh yeah, but but let's let's okay. So let's talk about like what these like how George Mason's introduced, um, yes. and kind of like where everybody fits here in the beginning of the show. Like Jack Bauer is the special agent in charge of the counterterrorism unit. Uh, they get the call that basically David Palmer, Senator Palmer, is in Los Angeles, and there is a very serious assassination threat on him on the day. Uh, they're all in a meeting. Jack stays late after the meeting with his superior, and he's basically told, hey, 
do not trust anyone in the agency. Someone involved, like someone internally is in on this hit. Yep. So there's there's this thing that 24 does that allows all of its characters to work here, and, and it's sort of creating a circle of trust around Jack. Even though Jack, yes, to every other character, is doing absolutely obscene things, uh, there's, there's and, and nobody's really able to justify it outside of his perspective. Yeah. Uh, and and really even like to his perspective there are there are points later in the series where he has to reckon with that kind of stuff uh and his actions and and even at the end of the day he has to kind of reckon with his actions um but what's great about that is is essentially it allows all the characters to play against him and so yeah. even though we know that we we know that Jack is a good person uh in fact one of his sort of actions that he does really early on is that he's known for taking down superior agents um, for taking yeah. bribes. George Mason comes in and and he's effectively like the first antagonist of the entire series really that we know of. Um, yes, there's, there's some things going on with a subplot on a plane, but we don't know like, you know, really we're, uh, we're sort of uh, what um, there's, there's a twist with which one is good and which one's bad, but yeah. George comes in and he's very much, like he's he's instantly corrupt and condescending uh and there's this big red flag moment uh where one of his first lines is that how much he dislikes palmer and how much palmer's going to gut the agency and so jack's first thing is is to really incapacitate george uh and kind of like one up him and and there's always this sort of as as jack being a loose cannon his superiors and him are always within conflict and he's always basically oh, yeah. Like, how can he sort of get around whatever his superiors are, are doing? Um, so, yeah. So, Major issues with authority figures. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and, and we're not meant to like George at all in the no. pilot. Uh, he is very much, like, proven in the pilot. And, and, and the main plot revolving around how Jack's able to one-up him is that they're able to find proof that he basically took 2000 or $200,000 uh, from from the account of someone that they busted, good chunk of change. Good chunk of change, yeah, definitely. And and when he is known and and, and just recently, you know, uh, you know, been taking down superior officers, uh, this is definitely something where George is is very much like he he perceives Jack as an instant threat. Yeah, and he says, "You will come to regret this instantly or immediately." It's like he storms out of the room because he gives him like the source that he needs. And then he's like, you're not going to like how this will turn out for you. And you do kind of go like, ooh, twist? What's going to happen next? Right. Like, who is, yeah, yeah. Is, is George, Ma like, George Mason is so far the most villainous character within this agency. He is the red flag to look out for. Uh, obviously, you know, they wrote a villainous character within the pilot. And, you know, when, when you write a pilot, you're not really sure how a series is going to form around that. Yeah, uh, they when the series gets picked up uh, a couple hours later, they do end up bringing George uh, and Xander Berkeley back for a couple hours. Now, something interesting to note about Xander Berkeley and and why he works really well here is he's known um, for a lot of like film characters. He is a character actor, and and you may have seen him a lot during the '90s for credits like Gattaca, Terminator 2, Heat, Air Force One. He's not really sympathetic characters in any of those movies, um, so he is working really well as an antagonist. 
when he comes back in in episodes four and five, there is uh, he he's able to play uh, George with 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 a bit more sort of nuance to him. Uh, he comes back and and he initially tries to stop Jack and at this point Nina, who is in the circle of trust, uh, from you know tr- basically figuring out who's who's the hit and and whatnot, and. He basically comes in really early into episode four as an antagonistic short force, shutting down CTU and trying to play all of the agents of, of, of the cast against each other uh, for confessions on how to get to Jack Bauer. Dun dun dun. And this is this is like this is where tw- this is where the character of George, especially villainous George, works really well in twenty four. Is he thinks that he's getting one ups on Nina and Jamie, and there's a lot of political speak in the dialogue, uh, but. You know, he, he whereas he thinks that he has the power in the scenes and has figured them out, as the series unfolds, we find out that not even we know where they stand and that, you know, that George had any power over them in their situation. Um, obviously, George is able to get to Jack Bauer. Um, and so, whereas episode four, George's whole motivation is how can I get to Jack Bauer and stop him? Episode five is he's able to sort of like, he, he's with Jack, he has to rein Jack in. Um, and I, I feel like a lot of the exchanges in episode five, like they, they feel like television, but yeah. it, it's interesting because this is the first time that we see George not as an antagonistic force, but as someone who is simply, simply trying to do their job, who is trying to follow protocol. Yeah. We get more of their perspective, like how they fit into the work hierarchy of things and why Jack's such a pain in the ass to him. Yeah. And so it's somewhat rewarding at the end of episode five when Jack sort of escaped George's custody uh, and, and he's able to find the next clue in this whole assassination plot. And there's this somewhat rewarding scene where, where George sort of comes around and Jack confesses like, all right, like the reason things have been so weird all night is because I thought that you were in on this hit. Um, and Xander Berkeley is, is he, he's able to play the scene in a really great way where he's like somewhat annoyed but understanding. There, there's so there's so much nuance to to his performance, and he does this thing at the end of both episode four and episode five, where he sort of like gives a, like a coda almost with with his last line and, and last action of uh, each of the scenes he's in, and so he's really able to like something I I really really do like about this character is you know where he stands with every single other character now that he's yeah. really talked to them all. We we know where he stands with Nina Myers. We know where he stands with Tony Almeida. We know where he stands with Jack Bauer. We don't at this point think that he is villainous anymore, uh, but we do understand that he's really not pleased to be present in this situation at all. No. And nobody's really friends with him at this agency uh, in this no, capacity. No, because he's kind of the boss. Yeah. where a lot of people don't really want to be buddies with him. And he's kind of the one enforcing the rules with a lot of people who tend to be rule breakers. And he's forcing the system upon them. But I feel like you get that energy that he was once like Jack and then kind of got more mature. And so he'll see it and be like, oh, I don't want to deal with this. But then like when there are the things where he's like, oh, yeah, I just... You know, I, I escaped and found this car with the clue and the body in the trunk. 
because I'm, you know, trying to get down to the bottom of this case. And he kind of goes like, ah, that is helpful. It's not how I asked you to do that. Yeah, exactly. Like, all right. Like we are making progress. Uh, this right. is not, you know, like it's the, you know, I've been stressed out and you're making my job hell, but like, yeah, yeah. okay. We're making progress. There's a lot of reluctant appreciation. Like, I guess this is a job well done. Really wish you would have just communicated some more instead of going rogue every time. Yeah, and the way that Xander's able to play that is probably why, like, he, he does go, like, basically, he's shuttled back to his district office for the rest of the for first run of the show, the first 13 episodes. The show gets renewed for the back half of season one, and it's not too many episodes later, I believe it's like episode 16, that he's back in Jack's office and he's like, hey, I'm the quarterback. I'm going to be following you around for the rest of the day. They've now written him in the show to continue being this reluctant boss to Jack. And you do get to see like over the, the course of the next several hours, this sort of fun, sarcastic character. Before Chloe O'Brien does enter the show in season uh, three, a lot yeah. of the show's humor comes from George's sarcasm and cynicism. Uh, there, there are these like really fun scenes where he's like disgruntled, stuck out in the field with Jack, or coming onto a scene after Jack has totally made a mess of things. Uh, and he's always got some sort of quip, some sort of wit to him that, that sort of like keeps that character fresh. He kind of remains that for the rest of the day. He remains present. Uh, like I said, he, he, he fits well into the series, and he does get to sort of have these sort of subplots with the rest of the main cast. He spends a lot of time talking to Leslie Hope's Terry Bauer, to Senator Palmer, uh, obviously to Carlos Bernard's Tony Almeida, and of course, Sarah Clark's Nina Myers. Uh, which does bring us to sort of the end of season one and the beginning of season two. Two, something I really love about George Mason as a character, and, and one of the reasons that when we talk about 24, this is an interesting like lens to talk about the show, is as the show goes on, it sort of does, it, it, the real-time aspect's always important, but it, the reality is, is that the high-octane uh, action is really what people keep coming back for. Uh, yes. the twists and the turns and, and it does get hard to sort of craft as nuanced stories around that mandate week over week year over year yeah george mason represents the series to me in, in a time where continuity was really important in ways that it, it it feels less important in its later years uh at the end of season one uh george is stuck disgruntled uh in his position as the acting agent in charge. And Senator Palmer basically convinces him to make a what would be perceived to his higher-ups as a bad call in the workplace uh, in, in trading, essentially, one of the villain's sons for Jack. Um, he uh, tells yes. George to go along with the plan, that George will obviously be probably demoted. Uh, but as Palmer is very confident in his presidential bid he's promising george a you know that george will be in a high up position in washington dc uh within the first year of uh, palmer's presidency when we forward to day two that is very much not the case for mason mason is 
who Jack was in the previous season, and he is more disgruntled than ever. His first lines to Tony Almeida are essentially to take him out and shoot him if he doesn't get that promotion anytime soon. Palmer has not delivered on his promise yet. It's it's a great small moment of continuity, uh, like I said, in a series that doesn't really pay that sort of nuance in the later years. Uh, tw- 24 is really great, and, and we'll see this here, about building these characters up and then creating tragedy with them. But when the yeah. mandates get, you know, when, when you're forced to top yourself year over year over year, you're you, you're given less time to really build up these characters like George has been able to be built up. And people start to having like a threshold of how much tragedy they really feel like these characters should and would go through because I think that's similar to a lot of the Grey's Anatomy plot lines doing another Shonda comparison. Right. But it's when it's like, oh, they had this shooter and then they have this, you know, horrible, you know, trucker accident and all these people are injured. And, you know, it gets to a point where you are like, and these planes crash where you're like, do people have this much tragedy and misery all the time? And, you know, in the first few seasons, it's a bit more restrained. You're not having as much of the like almost aggressive like flip-flopping and it does feel more like, like you said, they're having more time to develop and you're seeing the nuances of the character. So it's not like George Mason just immediately went from being bad to good. Right. Yeah. That, that's, that's what's rewarding about 24 and, and the format specifically is these characters, if their relationships with each other are going to change, if they're going to change as people, you have to see it in real time. There yeah. is, a, granted, you know, from season to season, like, yes, there's a year and a half between seasons one and two. And yes, the end of day one leaves Jack at his lowest point, which we'll get to. Uh, but um, what's great about what you said about how these kind of start more slow and grounded, I, I put in the, the the season one DVD to kind of like recap myself on the pilot. Uh, and the first thing it shows you is this like video of Kiefer Sutherland being like, here's, you know, like how groundbreaking 24 was when we started. We would make a long red light, a tense like story moment. And I'm like, yeah, for the first six episodes, like that's so funny. Like, you know, that th- that was something that they were proud of in 2000. I think rightfully so. Yeah. But it, it is funny that that's that's by 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 what like by the second half of season one by season two, uh, you're, you're sort of if you know L.A. you're kind of playing a game with how fast they're getting around it. You're like wait, wait a yeah. minute like this math does not add up by this amount. Oh no. As as much as I laughed at Kiefer's like little and a red and a long red light could mean life or death. I'm like, yeah, it's kind of brilliant. Like it's true. <laughs> And it's kind of, it's also like, it's hilarious as well to be like, we're going to play up like how much people hate sitting at these long red lights yeah. in LA <laughs> yeah. and be like, it actually is life or death. With that said, like we're in day two and uh, day two, like it's been over a year since his wife's death, but Jack and his daughter are still reeling from the tragedy. Uh, basically, Jack doesn't work at CTU but they're trying to get him back. And, and George's first hour is very much like, oh my God, I have to get Jack back here. Uh, the first thing Jack does is, is piss George off. And George of is essentially just so, uh, still so unhappy to be there. He's kind of at his lowest point too. Like he hates his job. He's stuck again with Jack Bauer. 
and there is a nuclear bomb threat that might blow him up any time during that day uh, that he's in charge of stopping. He's not really thrilled about any of that. So... (sighs) It's just like, sometimes you just feel a kinship to George's character of like... It's just like, get me out of it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, get me out of the show. So essentially, uh, around like the second hour, sometime like mid 9 a.m., George essentially packs up his briefcase and starts heading towards the exit. Now, Tony Almeida, who is well known to be in absolutely everyone's business up until this point in the show, and uh, his first thing is to accuse George of being a coward and trying to get out the blast radius. Uh, So they don't even have a good relationship right now, and Tony's a second-in-command. George decides to go anyways, and he gets a call to basically look up a a possible threat in a warehouse. And while he's looking that up, uh, he basically ingests plutonium uh, and is uh, pretty much, uh, what, uh, told that he is terminally ill, that he has anywhere between a day and a week to live, we as viewers know that it's closer to a day. We have 23 hours left in this show. Yep. There's something here that is great about how George's journey from this point fits into a show like 24. Like we were saying, it moves so fast and it's so damn dramatic that while we watch like Jack you know, go out there and, and risk his life and, and all of these like crazy like family plots going on with the Warners and, and who knows what else and CTU gets bombed and and like they're, they're you know, like Palmer's evil wife Sherry comes back and, and the show's just insane. But then you have this 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 guy who his essential like role for the rest of the season is to make amends with his life. Yeah. And so you get these fun little little scenes through all the chaos where, you know, he has to make amends with his son. Uh, and he ends up giving him access to the account that he stole. So his, you know, stolen corrupt money from season one from the pilot episode, uh, he essentially, you know, passes on to his son. He tries to make amends there. We learn that he's divorced. We learn that he doesn't have a good relationship with his son. Surprise, surprise. Uh, and then there's this, really great moment with this uh, one of 24's other amazing characters Michelle and George is able to like sit down with her and ask her like what do you want to do like after today like if we don't all die today because you get the privilege I don't because you get the privilege to like go on are you gonna come back to work here do you like it here and he tells her like his life dreams and how he made a choice to work in government for $5,000 more than being a teacher and ended up with a miserable, lonely life because of a $5,000 price. It's tragic. And it's, it's great because, like I said, it's just, this is just, these are little details that you learn about people because you're given the time, because the day is stretched out. And yeah. it's obvious that George and Michelle would have a conversation to try to just like clear some air on a day so hectic. And, and the fact that we get to learn so much about this person within really just knowing him for two days of his life uh, is, is kind of great. And, and like I said, it's just something that the series doesn't have time to do later on as, as much. Um, George sticks out uh, 
till about hour 14, where he hands the keys over to Tony Almeida and uh, is honored with the second silent clock of the series as he leaves CTU. And silent clocks are generally given uh, to like character deaths or really reflective moments in the show. They're pretty few and far between within the first five seasons. And then they kind of go crazy with them and just kind of use them in finales for, for the last like half of the show. Uh, this does bring us to season two, episode 15 of the show, 10 PM to 11 PM. Uh, and if you were watching this directly after watching season one, episode five, George has gone through quite a journey at this point, hasn't he? He's somewhat unrecognizable, both physically and probably personality wise. Yeah, he definitely is not looking like he's thriving physically. And then you also have him kind of stripped of his ego and all of that kind of bravado that he had as the boss. And you see him really just becoming, you know, he kind of, I think he's in the headspace as the character of like, this is not going to, you know, like my time is coming and I have to make a choice on if I just want, you know, to go out naturally or go out with a bang and really save Jack, you know, this person he's begrudgingly (laughs) been working for. And it's like he chooses his final call and his final moments to be like, I'll go down with the plane. You take the escape route. And I think like he seems extremely noble in this moment. You also kind of go with like Jack, like, I feel like you accepted that a little too quickly. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like maybe you should have gone back and forth a few times of like no 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 like no, no, no. he was kind of like yeah i mean the plutonium i'm gonna i'm gonna go right right and and i did look at that and go okay i kind of like you a little bit less from that and then you look at george mason's character and go like and i like you a little bit more uh, for well, this yeah like you're doing you're being a little more stand-upness even though it's like he is a complex character he does get this redemption arc of like saving the day after you know he was not he did not have a perfect path and you're kind of led like you can tell the writers are trying to lead you to think any kind of at least in the first couple seasons that anything jack's doing is the right thing to do even though he's breaking the rules, it's like, well, someone has to break the rules to make stuff happen. That is but the vibe I think, of the like, first couple seasons. You yeah. know, yeah. And then like, but I have to say, I think like part of the weird part of watching it now is you're going like, I don't think you necessarily always had to break all the rules. <laughs> well, some so something that does really work about this final episode with yes. George Mason is, and this is, somewhat credited to I did I did watch the episode with commentary today but the the great thing here is that Jack is wrong and yeah. he is essentially like on a suicide mission so that he does not have to deal with the life or the, with the loss of his wife with his estranged daughter um with his like lack of real purpose in life anymore and his failures he he does have a death wish and, and George does call him out on it yeah what was interesting about this commentary track is that it, it it really did sort of convey that the purpose of this scene and, and George's conflict, his final conflict with Jack, his final argument 
with Jack Bauer, and we've been watching them do it for like 26, 27 episodes now, is that he has to convince Jack that, you know, Jack has to go live his life, that it is the harder decision, but it's the right decision, and that George can do this in his like most frail state, and, uh, yeah. and his skin is, he, he, he has this like great makeup, and, and you know what's, it's like uh, peeling off. What's a real fun fact about that is they actually let Xander Berkeley do his, his own makeup all season. Which so is, that was all him. <laughs> yeah. Who knew he was so talented at that? Right. I would not be able to do that. So, yeah, exactly. So he, he does end up winning his final argument against Jack and in the process saving Jack's life and also saving, what, greater Southern California, Los Angeles area. Yep. Um, Thank you. Yeah, right. Uh it's cool. It's cool in that way. It, it's it, redemption arcs aren't really any anything new, and and no. twenty four does have quite a few of them, probably on its own. But the idea that it, we're sort of like fed it at this pace, like what's really interesting here is how the pacing of twenty four allows us to get really intimate with these characters over one scenario, over and, and, and draw it out so that like this does really mean something in their grand schemes. Uh, we know George. We we know his disgruntled sort of career and 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 being. And so when we get to that scene where he like kind of tells Michelle that he's figured out where he all went wrong and he's finally reflecting, like we really believe it. And yeah. we really do get to see him physically deteriorate up until episodes 14 and 15. And and so it is sort of this rewarding journey and and the fact that it converges with the main plot uh up to that point and and like the nuclear bomb and, and having to figure out how to basically deal with that uh is it, cool it, it's 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 really really it, it's it's an achievement really um and definitely feels like that mentor and the mentee doing the thing of like and now you have to fly on your own without yeah. it getting too horrible. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. it it is kind of the like i've been you know the curmudgeon but i've also been the one kind of like looking out for you and make and even though it's like i'm looking out for you i was also looking against you it's just like this like this weird thing but like you can tell like a lot of like relationships on tv where there's kind of the the bad guy that's not that bad right and the main character that you're watching they have this camaraderie uh, and a, like uh, in very unspoken understanding that once it's you're into this scene, you're really seeing that play into each other. And although I kind of joked around about it being like he accepted this too quickly, part of it is like them having this emotional connection of like, yes, this is this is what I have to do in a big way. And this is what you have to do in a very big way. And it's a really large, you know, departure and parting for both of them because, you know, he has to go face the music and a lot of the consequences of him going rogue all the time. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and uh, and then on the flip side, George Mason is kind of like on this, like, I've paid all my dues. I've tied everything off. I don't really have much time anyway in a show that's all about time. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. And... He he goes off and does does the right thing. Yeah. So that's kind of how you see him flow through this show of like maybe being more crooked to begin with, and then like getting more on the straight and narrow as it proceeds 
and then weirdly kind of trying to pull Jack more onto that, seeing kind of him, you know, he's Jack's very chaotic character, just like yes. you, he can never really be pinned down. And that's supposed to be a, both his appeal and his annoying trait. And so that's kind of where he's has to like accept that he cannot just be this free agent that doesn't have to answer for anything. And you can look at it and see that, you know, we see a very similar spirit in like 007 and like born supremacy, you know, they have this, you know, character that's like, ah, even though everyone else follows protocol, they don't because they are number one. (laughs) And that's kind of, what you're supposed to be getting with Jack though, I think the interesting part and, you know, especially his, how he plays off of George Mason is you are seeing him as more, and especially I think on a second viewing, uh, as a more immature kind of infantile, almost too quick to react Mm -hmm. character. And like, even though he is very stealthy and very strategic and intelligent and all that stuff, you do see him hindered by kind of his lack of seeing the bigger picture and not like tying things together as quickly as he could if he let if he also spent more time thinking rather than doing like he's a very headfirst character and that's kind of that's supposed to be his shtick but you can tell that the George Mason character when he's being both you know corrupt but also being good part of his strength is more looking at how all of these people are playing against each other. A lot of the different factors within the unit and why like making a certain decision, even if it's kind of the wrong one is the right one to make then because of what it will mean later. And he's more, even though his time is cut short, he more plays the long game and, and Jack, is king of the short game. It's, it's very true. We had a fun comment from Just the Fact. She says, I'm federal agent Jack Bauer, and today's the longest day of my life. And then that happens nine more times. Uh, <laughs> not, not too many characters can, yeah. It, uh, it takes a certain type of person to be able to deal with um, or to throw themselves into situations and, and, and keep the pace with oh, all yeah. of that. You're wondering why you don't see him deteriorate throughout, and that part is questionable too, because you're like, the stress really should have started to affect you a little bit more but he definitely has this like i thrive on adrenaline what i do want to discuss is even beyond 24 really here yeah uh something that that happens is is essentially like whether whether however these characters are played how they're portrayed um how they're how they're sort of able to evolve like i I do want to touch on one final thing while we have time here uh with sander berkeley is is essentially like Robert Cochrane, the co-creator, does admit in this this sort of um, uh, commentary uh, for for the fifteenth episode is is that Xander's approach, like really in, in the pilot and in in his reappearances in four and five, and the way that he brought his wit and humor to the series, did cause them to write him into the series more so. Um, and and so what I what's interesting to think about here is, is 24 does this again. You know, I, I believe they do do the same thing with Chloe O'Brien. 
um, and oh, and several yeah. other characters. As, as Chloe sort of does start out season three as probably I I want to say she is the lowest build guest star in the first episode yeah. of season three, and she does go on to be the series' second most prolific character. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it when shows are able to evolve around characters and and sort of like make their stories in service of of the characters it, it is a really great thing that that sort of is not exclusive to tv maybe per se but is something that's very common in tv and and something that works really well on tv uh i don't know if we had any other examples with this uh, or or if we could maybe source any other examples Obviously, Breaking Bad had several, like where Aaron yes. Paul's Jesse Pinkman was only supposed to last the first season, and they liked the performance so much, and it opened up so many possibilities to them that they were able to write around it. Uh, Jonathan Banks was only supposed to be uh, on one episode to fill in, uh, and he is still playing Mike Ehrmantraut to this day. So that's a series that, that sort of allowed a lot of a lot of its characters to to sort of like grow and, and dictate part of the story here. Um, yeah, I just it, 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 it's definitely a, a, a fun thing that happens here in, in, in TV, and, and it's fun to watch. Again, like I said, like George Mason and, and Xander Berkeley represent the best of 24 because it's 24 acting in service of, of the characters and using its format to sort of give us character journeys um, and, and, and allow those to sort of give gravitas to the plot of the show. Uh, and, and that's something that's like, you know, we love a character that adapts and an actor that kind of influences the show's creators to write them in more. I think we've seen this a few times. I think the most notable example I can think of that couldn't be a more different show is that Alex Bornstein's character, who she is on Marvelous Miss Maisel. But like this is also in terms of long games, a long game, as the, the creators had her in the pilot of Gilmore Girls, originally to play Melissa McCarthy's character of Suki. Mm-hmm. She could not get out of her mad TV contract, so they wrote her in to play this harp player named Drella, who was just really sarcastic and would play her harp too loud and usually like queen songs or something that she wasn't supposed to do other than the classical music she was paid to do. And then, you know, many years pass and then she gets to be the probably most beloved and uh, there's a lot of beloved characters on Marvelous Miss Maisel, <laughs> but she plays Susie, who is, I think, you know, my character to watch. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, she's an award winning actress at this point, And she's also voiced Lois on Family Guy. And you do see just see like this this long period of like the creators being like man we really got to get a character for her because of all that she can bring to it and i think that's you know it's always like a fun surprise when it's the creators and you never know kind of what can happen in other shows they create and whatever else they do but that's i think like you know how we got to the 24 24 (laughs) episode of seeing this xander berkeley character who is supposed to just kind of play a flat you know, kind of straight guy for Jack to react did. to. And then they're like, oh, no, you're bringing way more to this show. We're going to write you. Have this extremely important, you know, kind of substance and both like he plays the thing that makes Jack have this huge character shift. 
So even though we watch his, you know, his meaning George Mason's arc quite closely, it's also his impact on the main protagonist is quite prolific and influences how the rest of the show goes, even though he kind of departs and that's it at the end of, you know, episode 15. But that's, that's where you're like the rewarding part is he had this really clean beginning and end and you know he leaves very genuine and untainted by further seasons and you know things getting more muddy and murky it's it's you're getting kind of that best essence and with all <laughs> with all this said like yeah the, the, the george mason is is a great character and a great part of the show uh, not to completely dock the later seasons. Uh, like like no, Tracy said, some of her seasons. favorite characters are in it. And and to be yeah. honest, if you're a 24 fan, like oftentimes George isn't even the favorite director of CTU. A lot of people default to Bill Buchanan, who comes in the show way later and actually has way more episodes. Yeah, uh, yeah. In a weird way, these first two seasons and this character arc, it's almost like a prequel to when the show is really getting into its groove. In terms of like, you know, having a lot of these other characters like like Chloe, one of my favorites, that really does not come for a bit because, you know, he has to go through this tragedy and then he has to like kind of keep pushing through it. And then he kind of gets to the point where these other characters come in and you have these kind of even bigger problems that are less close to home and more like more, you know, geopolitical issues at hand I've but they it. kind of want to have that it almost has that like batman begins vibe of like but we have to show him going through all this stuff to show you how he gets to be this way that's true and and the show uh, i mean and to your point the 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 look of 24 actually does evolve uh Pretty consistently with the eras that you're speaking of, I actually the, uh, the what I've seen fans say about the show, and and I think this is a good way to put it, is that like seasons one through three are the classic era of Twenty Four, uh, and then four through six are the Jack Bauer Power Hour uh, <laughs> era of Twenty Four, where he is sort of the main character and there is less of an ensemble around him, uh, and 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 there is a like a different main cast. For, for those three seasons. And then the final three seasons are sort of like a, a, a Jack on tour kind of era of 24, where they do actually just cycle in new characters every year. And, and the actual overlap is, is like Jack and, and Chloe. And yeah, there's a couple between season seven and eight, but, but the, they do really drastically change the show between those years. Um, it, it, it is, yeah, it's, it, it's interesting. Um, but I, I'm partial to the classic era, actually. I, the, I really love the look of season one. I really love that pilot. I love how yeah. just, if, if you're into television production, the, the pilot's commentary from the director and the DP is so informative, uh, to the look of the show, to camera, to editing, to wardrobe, to it, it's all discussed production. It's, it's all on location. It's just, it's, it's a blast. Um, and yeah, I just, I, I really love those early run of characters like George, um, who we've been talking about, Michelle, Tony, uh, et They cetera, do et a very good job of like multiple storylines happening at the same time and then showing them visually at the end with like the four <laughs> yeah, kind with of the quad screen. in the screen. <laughs> and it almost pushes you to connect them. Like I watched the pilot going like, 
oh, the girl's kidnapping has something to do with all of these other plots because of how they kind of mashed them all up. Like this, these aren't all completely separate events. Like they're all going to converge and they kind of, they have a really nice way of showing that visually and not telling you and you kind of piece together throughout the episode. So I do like that. And I missed that. And, and yeah, you can definitely see that they're like photography element is a really strong player in this show. So, I mean, we could go on. I know. To, to your point, there's a billion different ways to talk about 24, and there's a billion <laughs> ways 24 has been talked about. Uh, yeah, this is the our episode, our, our little niche uh, primetime party time happened to be about uh, a single character and, and how it fit into uh, what what 24 can be and, and how uh, television uh, and, and 24 kind of work together to, to tell good stories. But uh, yeah, I don't know. If you know the series, if you don't know the series, there is a lot there. Um, yeah, we like we like unveiling these hidden treasures, and so we wanted to, you know, give a spotlight to maybe a somewhat forgotten character to some, and give George Mason the twenty-four time on episode twenty-four. And that's it for this week's prime time party time. Where can you find a... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what we do. We talk about who made this show uh, and how it couldn't be made without the following amazing people. We're talking our artwork was done by Fenn. You can find her at Fenn Latte on Instagram. Our theme song was done by Jay Wright. Find him at jwrightmusic.com. His website, uh, in thanks to Coco, and our production manager was BMAC. Uh, you can find episodes of Primetime Party Time on Apple, Spotify, wherever you like to listen to your podcasts. If you want to rant, roast, and or rave with us, you can hit us up by sending us an email at info at ptptshow.com via our voicemail or a chat box on the ptptshow.com homepage. Uh, can do that as well or, or any other avenue. Uh, and you can catch the next Primetime Party Time uh, on or here next Monday uh, at uh, 9 p.m. Pacific here on ptptshow.com. Yeah, uh, I'll be on June 28th, 9 p.m. And if you want any more of... Well, you'll have to stay until after the song to know that. If you want more of Xander Berkeley, may I recommend Booth at the End? It's a Hulu web series that's really fun. It's one location. It's another one that's fun if you're just into like weird low budget production. Uh, he's great and mysterious in it. And uh, yeah, that's that's what I had to say. I thought we had a little more time on that. My bad. <laughs> no, no, I just like I, said, I, I cruised over it. <laughs>